The following is a sermon that was preached at Faith Lutheran Church in Sharpsburg, Georgia. For more information about our church or to hear past sermons from Faith Lutheran, visit georgiafaith.com. Thank you for listening. He stood by the bank of a shallow river and... In the darkness, he wondered what it was going to be like when his world came crashing down. He had spent 20 years working himself to the bone and kind of thought he had made it. I mean, he was wealthy, he had a family, he had security, at least so he thought. Sometimes, though, your, your past has a way of catching up with you. And that night, he could feel a day of reckoning coming. He could feel the pulse and the throb of it. When the sun rose the next day, he could lose everything that he had and everything that he was ever going to have. And he was scared. His name was Jacob. And he was standing by the banks of the Jabbok River, and he was wrestling with his past wrestling with his problems, wrestling with his hopes for a future. Jacob lived during the time of the patriarchs. So those were the great fathers of God's Old Testament people. So kind of put ourselves in context. Remember, the Old Testament was the story of God bringing his promise of a Savior from the Garden of Eden, generation after generation, until God made good in his promise that night in Bethlehem when the Son of God was born in the flesh. And so... Throughout that Old Testament, that passing of the promise from one generation to another, in the age of the patriarchs, what God did was, out of all the people on earth, he chose one man. He chose Abraham and said, from your family, the bloodline of the Savior will descend. And so he gave Abraham the big promise. He said, I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And all nations on earth are going to be blessed through you because through you, the Savior of the world is going to be born. Big promise. And then Abraham's son, Isaac, the promise passed to him. And then Isaac was to pass that promise to the next generation. But, well, the problem with Isaac is he had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. And God had clearly told him, I want the the blessing to go to the younger son to Jacob, but that's it's not what Isaac wanted. Isaac wanted it to go to his older boy, to go to Esau. Now Jacob and his mother, they knew what God's will was, but rather than just letting God be God and take care of it, they, they took it into their own hands. They ended up deceiving a blind old man, stealing the birthright and the blessing. And that's when Jacob had to run because his brother Esau wanted to kill him. He was filled with bloodlust after losing this blessing in his plan. As soon as my father's in the grave, I'm putting Jacob in an early one. And so this young man, he runs away with nothing except this blessing, nothing but a staff in his hand out into the wilderness. When he went to sleep that night at a place he later called Bethel, God appeared to Jacob in a dream. And listen to what he said to him. He said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. 
I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised you. Now you talk about a big blessing, right? For this man who's got nothing, God promises you're going to inherit this country. I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the stars in the, stars in the sky or the sand in the seashore. I'm going to protect your life. You're not just going to survive. You're going to thrive. I'm going to prosper you. Can you imagine being armed with a promise like that? It's like a get-out-of-jail-free card. right? God says, I'm going to be okay. So Jacob goes off into an uncertain future, but he does so armed with this big, hairy promise from God. It's a good thing he had it because he was going to need it. You see, his, uh, his future was going to be all tied up with the place he ran to. He ran for distant family. He went, ran to his uncle Laban. And this guy Laban, he was, he's just one of these men. He's just, he's, he's shifty. He's dirty. He's the maker of, uh, you know, bad deals and bum promises. And he tried to cheat Dave, or cheat Jacob over and over again. I mean, he dupes him into marrying the wrong sister, and then he tries to cheat him in business again and again and again. But it's amazing what God did. He kept his promise. His promise that I'm going to prosper you, Jacob. Every time Laban tried to cheat him, God found a way to prosper, prosper Jacob over and over again. So much so that after 20 years, Jacob found himself with a family, with children, with flocks, a wealthy man. And then God appeared to him again and said, it's time to go home. Imagine what kind of emotions ran through Jacob's head when he heard the word home. Maybe like for most of us, we'd get nostalgic a little bit for the place we grew up. Maybe excited at the thought of getting to see our mom again. It's been 20 years. But I wonder if those emotions kind of faded to black when he remembered this also meant he'd have to go and face the father he had deceived and the brother who wanted to kill him. But, you know, here's a testament to the faith of Jacob and the faith of God's promises, faith in God's promises. Jacob got up and went. And not only that, he wasn't going to sneak back into the land. He was going to deal with his past face-to-face while they're making the caravan journey from Laban's area back to the promised land, he, he sends messengers out to look for his brother Esau, say, uh, Jacob's coming home. That journey was almost complete when they reached that riverbank in the borders of the promised land, and the messengers came back. They'd, they'd found Esau. But the word they brought back was, well, it was daunting, I Your brother Esau is riding towards you with 400 men. There's only one reason you bring 400 men to an, 400 armed men to reunion with your brother, and that's if it's a day of reckoning. You know, uh, Jacob, the Bible says, was filled with fear and distress. I mean, I can understand. He's got 400 armed men riding towards him, and he looks around, and what does he have? He's got women, children, sheep. That's all he had. 
And you can almost, when you watch what he does, he takes his, his camp and he divides them into two groups, splits up his kids and, uh, into two areas, splits up his, his flocks, and you can almost smell the desperation on him when you realize what his plan is, is if he divides them in half, maybe while this half of my family is being killed, this half can run away. When that's your best plan, that half of your family dies, There are days for us, too, when we stand in the darkness and wrestle with the problems of our past or the problems of our present. Maybe you've had a day where you looked around and wondered if you're even going to keep half of it. There are certainly days like that for you and me, too. That's why I think it's really important, because whether or not you've had a day like that, living in this broken, sinful world, that day for you is coming. So it's so important for us to see Jacob here. See what he did. You know, he divides this, these camps up, sends them across the river, and then what this man of God does is he, is he prays. And the prayer that he speaks, it's actually in the words right before our Old Testament reading for this morning, I think that could be a wonderful model for you and me, not just of our, uh, of our, for our life of prayer, for, but for those days when we find ourselves standing in the darkness waiting for our world to come crashing down. Listen to what he said. He starts out, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac. He's talking to the God whom he knows, the God who had been faithful to his family for generations. He says, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. He reminds God, and he's reminding himself, God, you told me to do this, right? You told me to return. And you said you were going to prosper me, God. And I don't know about the full definition of prosper, but it doesn't mean dead, right, God? You told me. He says, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. He acknowledges that God doesn't owe him anything. I think that's an important posture for us to remember in our prayer life. Sometimes when we pray, we kind of act like God owes us something. You know, Jacob is saying here, Lord, I've got, you owe me nothing. I deserve nothing from you. And the same thing for you and I, we, that the Lord of heaven and earth should, should incline his ear to hear us. Lord, I've, I've, you owe me nothing, but you invited me to pray. So hear my prayer. He said, I had only my staff when I crossed this river, but now I've become two camps. So Jacob is thanking God for the blessings that God's given him. I think that's really important because he's looking back and seeing God's faithful love throughout the days of his life. For the past 20 years, he says, God's been there, God's had my back, God's kept his promises. And I tell you what, that's a great place to look when it feels like the world is starting to fall apart around you. You can't see the future, but you sure can see the past and see how God has loved you and been faithful to you through it. When you see that, what well, gives us the confidence to take it to him straight away? Listen to what Jacob said. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother. That's the prayer of a man who's got nothing to offer to God, but is asking for everything from God. That's a prayer just like yours and mine. What, what do we have to offer? But Lord, save us. Rescue us from the perils of our sin. Save us from the evil of this world. Lord, keep your promises. He says, 
For I am afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. You don't ever have to hesitate to tell God when you're scared. Jacob didn't. He says, Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid for my children. God's not afraid of our emotions. In fact, he invites us to bring those to him. And then every single time what he does is he points us back to his promise. Jacob. But you said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. He finished by going back to the promise, right? The promise that God had given him, that big hairy promise that I'm going to prosper you and I'm going to give you descendants as numerous as the sand of the seashore that can't be counted. Here's a central truth of the Christian faith. You can demand from God the things that he's promised to you. You can demand from God the things that he's promised to you. God had promised Jacob that he was going to prosper him, give him descendants, and that the Savior was going to come from his line. So Jacob's saying, okay, Lord, you said it. Now do it. Now do it. God made that promise to Jacob. Here's a second central truth of the Christian life. God hasn't given those promises specifically to you. Right? God hasn't promised you that you're going to be rich. God hasn't even promised you that you're always going to have a job. God hasn't promised you that you won't get sick. God hasn't even promised you a long life. Right? So we can't demand things from God that, that he hasn't promised us. But I tell you what, he did give you a promise that far exceeds those I just talked about. He gave you a promise that your relationship with him has been made right by the death and resurrection of his son. And that means whether you're wrestling with your past or your present or your future, here's one thing you never have to wrestle with. You never have to wrestle with wondering about how your God feels about you. You never have to wrestle with the sins of your past and think that you've got to do something to try to make it right. And we sometimes do that. We wrestle with the sins of our past because we... We assign tragedy or struggles. We say, this must be God punishing me because of this or that or the other. God's not going to forgive you of your sins because you feel sufficiently badly about them. That's not how he works. God's not going to forgive you of your sins because you do some, I don't know, act of good to try to put goodness out into the universe and hope that the karma truck doesn't hit you from the back. It's not how God works. God works by the radical concept of grace that he picked up every one of those sins of your past and every bit of the guilt of mine and he put it on his son so that when Jesus died, every one of those sins has been paid for and God looks at your life and he says your sins have been forgiven and forgotten. God can't remember those sins, even the ones you and I might never forget. That's a promise that God says he's given to you and that's something you can demand from him. Lord, keep your promise. Save me. Forgive me of my sins. Remind me that nothing in this life is a signal of that. You and I are in a place of displeasure, not when I am your child through faith. If this world is crashing around me, Lord, it's not because you don't love me. It must, it must be something else. What might that be? Jacob sends the camps across the river. He stays on the far side, uh, and he's all by himself there in the dark. 
kind of waiting for God to answer his prayer. And that's where the story gets a little weird, right? Where he's there in the dark and all of a sudden some guy jumps him. Out of the darkness, all of a sudden, there's a wrestling match. They're fighting, pushing, straining, pulling in the dirt. Even stranger is when we find out who this is that's wrestling with Jacob. You know, later on in the story, we see Jacob says, I've seen God face to face. We recognize this is the Son of God in human form. This is like Old Testament Jesus. So why in the world would Old Testament Jesus show up and jump Jacob in the dark and start to wrestle him? It just doesn't make any sense. And think about it if you're Jacob. God's wrestling me? You're trying to, God, are you trying to hurt me? Are you trying to defeat me? You're trying to pin me down? Have you ever felt like God was working against you, not for you? Ever feel like God's hand was, was oppressing you, not lifting you up? Sometimes when those bad times come into our life, we can be tempted to think that God is not working for our good. He's either forgotten about us or even worse, it feels like he jumped us in the dark. He's trying to pin us to the ground. But here's the thing. Jesus never enters his people's lives to hurt, but always to save. He didn't come down to hurt Jacob. I mean, you could tell by what's happening here. The God who controls the oceans, the winds, the planets... He comes down in human form and lets Jacob wrestle him to a draw. I mean, it's like, it's like a three-year-old pinning his dad on the living room carpet, right? Um, this is condescension. This is Jesus. Jesus wanted Jacob to wrestle with him and he wanted to let Jacob wrestle him to a draw. Cause you see, Jacob had to realize that wrestling with God wasn't meant to hurt him. It was God's way of pulling him closer. Pulling him closer. Right? All of a sudden, you know, after Jacob's hip is wrenched, uh, he recognizes who this is. And all he, what's he going to do? He knows he can't wrestle God and win. So all he does is he says, I'm just going to hold on till dawn. I'm going to hold on. He says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you bless me. Nothing could have made God happier. Here's his child knowing that God was there to bless him. I'm going to hold on till dawn. Here's the thing. When it feels like God's jumped you in the dark, he hasn't come to hurt you. He has come, though, to pull you closer. Wrap your arms around him. Hold on till dawn. Jacob got a new name that night. He always had kind of a bad name. His Yaakov means uh, heel grabber, which in Hebrew would mean something like shifty. Not a real nice way to name your baby. But old Shifty got a new name that night. God gave him the name Israel, which means one who wrestles with God. And he also gave him a limp from that wrenched hip, a physical reminder every day for the rest of Jacob's life that he, Israel, had wrestled with God one night. But you know what? Even that limp was God's way of pulling him closer, making him trust him even more. I mean, think about it. Jacob went from being unable to fight Esau to now he can't even run away. All he can do is trust in God's promises. It's exactly where God wanted him. In the darkest hours of our life, when it feels like we're wrestling with God, know that God never comes to hurt. He's just pulling you closer. Wrap your arms around him and wait for dawn. God grant it. Amen.